people, episode four of the ACMD podcast, another special guest in the building. It's unfortunate for, for my generation still because from speaking from a personal perspective, I don't have, <clears throat> for various reasons, much older man, especially from the area that we come from, that I can say that I respect or look up to. And that's for various reasons still, but the guest that we have today is somebody that I do respect and, and have respected for a very, very long time. Um, I have the pleasure of, of coaching his son and seeing his son grow and develop, not only as a player, but um, also as a young man. Um, but I also have the pleasure of seeing how he supports his son in so many, in so many ways um, that for a lot of people will be deemed out of the norm. Um, he's an entrepreneur, um, he's a community leader. Uh, he's a specialist in, in how fathers should conduct themselves. I have the pleasure of, of presenting you guys, David Mullins. <laughs> Loads of pressure there. Bro. Good evening, I, good I, afternoon, good morning. I try to give you the flowers. <laughs> I try to give you the flowers. Thank bro. you. What's going on, I'm good, man. It's a pleasure to be here, bro. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm honoured. How's life been through for oh, bro. 2020 and that how's, how's life been for you recently um it's it's, it's been crazy because obviously the world's changed as as we knew it um just over a year ago now mm. um but i think i've become a bit of i'm not an introvert yeah my wife's definitely an introvert i think and i'm, I'm i think i'm taking on some of her tendencies so <laughs> what i would say is apart from the devastation that covid has obviously the effect it's had on people that aside um, um, as you go, hey, um, um, just been really busy, really. Actually, my you know, in the work that I do, I've actually been more busy. Mm. Um, and COVID has just opened doors for me that I didn't see before. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, I've been very busy. The, the years flown. Um, you know, it's been a year since we've had any form of normality, mm -hmm. and it's yeah, the time's just flown by. So I'm just giving thanks. Um, for health, strength, and for those the loved ones around me to be safe and well as well. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. The conversation we're going to have today is it's a it's a difficult one for me personally, but it's an important one. Mm. It's a difficult one um, because we're talking about fatherhood and and the impact that fathers should have and and the implications surrounding fatherhood in our community. Mm. And difficult one for me for for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's so important for us to have this conversation. Um, for fathers who may be struggling in whatever situation they're in, yeah. um, but also for kids who might be looking for a father figure and just don't have any. But before we get to that stuff, I want to start with you. Mm. It's ironic because I had the, um, I've had the the pleasure of getting to know your your younger brothers before knowing you. So shout out to Michael and Joseph. Um, and then over the past ten years, we've built our relationship. Mm. Um, but I know that you've come from a, a strong family unit, but I just want to know a little bit more about your upbringing. You've grown up in an era that's before me, but after my parents, so it's that midway. Yeah. Um, so w what was life growing up like for you? Um, so obviously, you know a bit more than maybe the listening public. So yeah. to put that into perspective, I grew up in a two-parent family home, um, Kensal Green. We got, we got my KGB. Large up, large up. Four bedroom house, you know. Um, but I guess fundamentally, fundamentally, what was different, I guess, was that my dad was a pastor. Yeah. Um, and my my home was a very strict Christian one. Mm. And so um, I'm number five of seven. Woo! And um, 
I guess something that's only become, and I've probably never spoken about this in public actually, and I speak a lot about, I'm happy in terms of putting myself out there, who mm-hmm. I am, my experiences, but something I've not spoken about before publicly um, really, because it's only become apparent over COVID is that I think being number five of seven, um, born in the 70s, but growing up in the 80s and the 90s, um, what I've established is that um, out of the seven children, I think I've probably was had independence forced on me the most. Wow. And um, that's not to say my mum and dad weren't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I would say is that my my, my parents weren't in touch with my reality. Mm. You know, my dad came to this country as a Garveyite, very into black, you know, people and what they should do for themselves and then became a pastor mm. and served and is still serving the yeah. community. Yeah. Um, so within that, you know, I think my older siblings would have got more of my dad in his youth. Okay. But then he's an immigrant to, the, to, to England. So there's still that element of he's not indigenous to this country yeah. and there's a, there's a lot of unknown. And yeah. I'm now coming up um, in a different generation mm. to my older siblings. And they're not there to really affect mm. what's happening for me and what I'm going through because they don't actually really know what I'm going through. That's odd though because in a way, do you feel like in the, in some ways you were the firstborn type thing? Yeah, you could you could say that because I didn't have um, my 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 older brother, but one um, he left home really before he should have. Right. Um, and I, without talking his story, mm. but essentially. All the other siblings were had, had more or less flown the nest or just really out of touch with what was going on for me. Mm. So I didn't have, you could say I never really thought about that, but yeah, I didn't have anyone to really give me that guidance mm. because my dad's out of touch with what I'm going through. So although he's there, he's not in touch with what hap- what's happening wow. for me. Wow. So um, whilst I'd never change anything because I got a great moral compass from my mum and dad. Mm. And I think that that's something I talk to parents about today. That's all, you know, there's a lot of influences on our children today, regardless of the type of upbringing they get. Mm. Um, social media, the, the world in general, um, but I had a moral compass. So that has held me in good stead, but that doesn't mean that because of that lack of connection mm. with my parents, and if we want to say with my father, because that's what the subject is mm. today, it meant that I was open and um, accessible. Okay to okay. other things okay. but I had it you know in general though like I said my mum and dad are still there together and you know I was in church on a Sunday I've been in church more times than anyone yeah. listening to this yeah. podcast yeah. don't try and check me, <laughs> me. I, I went church three times a week possibly yeah. four because yeah. I would go twice on a Sunday morning mm, service evening service, service. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going on a Wednesday I'm going on a Friday night for young people mm. so um, I wouldn't change it mm. I honestly wouldn't change it What what's the reality of of your of your um, situation growing up because we kind of pigeonholed ourselves into believing that everybody had the same experiences. Mm. So it's like my grandparents came over as immigrants as well. And I know from a, looking at my granddad, there was a, not an emotional disconnect, but definitely a distancing because you I, there's a lot of things that I don't know about my granddad's history in terms of my mom's dad. Um, 
that he just doesn't speak about about life back home in Jamaica yeah. and he's they've obviously come over here and just had to make life work in some way shape or form and to this day my granddad's like well you know get one job at the post office or um yeah. um he Troy airport or something like that because yeah. they, they look at that as stability yeah. what was your reality growing up knowing that the London that they came over to is completely different to the London that you're growing up in as a young man what was your reality in that perspective I mean, I've come to the understanding that, you know, we've got parents and grandparents, for some of us parents, but mm. for others, grandparents, who love the monarch, yeah. who love the people who actually, you know, colonised our countries uh, and, and, and enslaved us. Mm. And that's not, a, that's not a disrespect or a slur on those of them, because why wouldn't they? These people um, offered them so much mm. and, and promised them so much. And I think so, you know, my reality is that I've grown up to grow quite... Um, disaffected from that kind of stuff and understanding that my parents didn't have the understanding knowledge yeah. access to the education that I've had and so when I see them even still to today have that type of sometimes that kind of I don't it, I think we have to have an understanding of their reality they love the queen you know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they yeah. love the queen they do so I think you know it's been an education because you're growing up yeah. to make to, to be made to feel the same way mm. Um, and it's just been a, an education and sometimes um, it's interesting because obviously I've grown up in a Christian spiritual and I wanna, I'd like to refer to it more as a spiritual mm -hmm. household because mm -hmm. I think when you I think to say Christian mm. and no disrespect to anyone who's listening but it's not Catholic mm. it's not mm. it's not Church of England mm. Christian you know it's not white Jesus Christian mm -hmm. so for people who are listening thinking you know whatever I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to try and explain anything yeah. to people but at the same time it's different and I've grown up different yeah. and so when you question some of those other things you know for me I'm always wanting to be careful that I'm this, I'm not I'm, only, I'm not going too far with mm. what I'm questioning because whilst I don't sit here to present to be a born again Christian I, I'd say that I, I don't sway from my upbringing I believe in God um I believe that, you know, there's one God and that, you know, there's a heaven and there's a hell. Mm. So I don't want to sit here and go on like I'm, you know, I question every mm, single mm, thing mm. and I just, but it does make you, well, I do question things because I accepted that mm. as a child, um, but it does make me want to have a bit more understanding to what I was told to do because I, I was indoctrinated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you do want to have a bit of understanding. So yeah, with, with the whole, with that, it does make you look at things different because it isn't just about getting a job and blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I often talk about the fact that African people from African countries and African descent, their, 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 their travel to this country was different to that of West Indians. Mm -hmm. the, the, the reason they came here was very different. You know, our parents, my dad, I did a project with my son mm -hmm. for Black History and it was established that my dad came here, he wanted to make 500 pounds and go back home. Wow. Okay. And when he came here and he realized that it wasn't quite what it was cracked up to, he actually wrote to the queen and he asked her, would she send him back? And he got a letter back saying that he could go back, but she would not fund that, that they would not fund his travel back because he wanted to make 500 pounds, go back to Jamaica and um, start a farm. So, you know, you, you look at things like that and it's just, um, it's a, it's a far cry from the world we're living in today but again it shows you the the kahunas that our that our parents and grandparents had i mean no disrespect but it's chalk and cheese mm -hmm. you look at the west indies mm -hmm. whatever country it is 
what are you coming to England for? <laughs> no yeah. disrespect. But in yeah. terms of sun, sand, sea, mm. food. But but they came here, my dad came here as a British citizen mm. with a passport, mm. with English money, with English pounds in his hand. So it makes me, if anything, it makes me angry when you hear about Windrush and the fact that they wanted to send people back. Well, they came here. How can you send them back? They were British citizens when mm-hmm. they came in. Mm-hmm. They didn't get citizenship when they came in. So it also puts me in a place of not knowing where I belong. Yeah. I don't believe that I belong here yeah. or I don't feel welcomed here, mm-hmm. the place where I was born. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel welcomed necessarily in Jamaica neither because mm. I feel like if I go there I will, they'll, they'll refer to me as a foreigner yeah, yeah, yeah. and I will be treated different there wow. wow you know I couldn't go there in all honesty and feel like I could just go and live a normal life mm. because we know some of those stories I hear you I hear you <laughs> I hear you you've had the, the privilege of, of just seeing different eras so born in the 70s grew up in the 80s where it's a lot of like the cultures a lot of soul a lot of funk roller skating and all that mm. stuff and then growing up in the 90s and stuff you're seeing a lot of rap and hip-hop and stuff what was in terms of from the point of view of someone growing up in Kensal Green yeah how would you describe the evolution evolution of just what the area looked like from a culture standpoint oh man like to what it is even like to now yeah yeah oh, man I mean I get really I get really emotional when I go to Kensal Green mm. I get quite upset mm. Um, I can't remember the year we left Kensal Green. My parents left Kensal Green. They left. I left home before they left. But um, you know, I drive. I look at the home, the house we were bought, the house that we I grew up in. Mm-hmm. My parents purchased it the year I was born. So that's my house. That's the only house I grew up in with my parents. Mm-hmm. And and I feel as uh, Kensal Green was a cultured place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I go there now, and you you have people looking at you like, what are you doing around here? Almost. <laughs> You're like, why are you here? And it's like, wow. And I kind of have, I have regret because I wish I would have purchased my parents' home. Yeah. I wish I would have purchased it. Um, yeah, I, I made a big investment without talking my business like, too much. I made a big investment in the same year that my parents sold their home. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't possible mm. um, for me to have done that. Um, not sure whether I could have done it. I maybe I could have made a better, I could have made a better effort of it. Mm-hmm. It had I not done what I did that year, but um, yeah, I, it's it's, a, it's the place has changed. Touching on that before we continue further, mm. I've always had this gripe of why, especially within the Caribbean Caribbean family community, yeah. the parents or the grandparents leave Jamaica or Barbados, wherever they come yeah. from, come to England and they they grind, they work, and they save, they get married, build a, a marriage, build a family together, they get the house, they get the mortgage. At some point, the mortgage is paid off. Then you see it so often where the mortgage is paid off, the family grows up in the house, it's known as the family yard, and then one grandparent or one parent passes away, then the other one goes, then it's left with the family, then the family's like, you know what, let's just set up and leave. Why do you feel like it's so hard for us to retain the family home within the family? I think it's quite simple. I think that we don't culturally have... um, financial literacy do you, is, is, do you feel like that's a, a gripe on us in terms of our lack of passing on education internally within our community or do you think is external factors contributing to that I think it's more it's a bit of both but I think it's more external factors right um, when you just look at our journey here yeah you know we people will take issue with what I'm going to say mm-hmm. but by and large West Indian people did not come here 
the most, most educated and financially literate. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, there were many people who were. Mm. Um, so, um, and it might be prevalent to more country, certain countries yeah. than others, and I, I'm not going to name countries yeah. for fear of people feeling disrespected or upset, mm -hmm. okay? But I think that, um, for example, let's look at Church Road. Mm -hmm. We, or we, we, we've all heard and people referencing to the Somali community and how they've come to Church Road and taken over, mm -hmm. so to speak, shops, mm -hmm. etc. They have a culture of business in their community. That's right. They didn't come to England mm -hmm. and decide they want to start doing business. They've been doing business That's right. prior to coming here. And so what was we doing? Mm. So, you know, we came here, we lived, which is great. We lived in houses together, mm -hmm. done partners. Mm -hmm got properties um, but I think that they, sometimes there then becomes a bit of that that lack of education yeah. of what you can do with a property that you already own how the fact that you can draw money out of it yeah. and go and purchase another property because I think that we have parents who they don't want to owe money mm. they don't want to owe anyone no money so it's like whoa I, I took it long enough to pay this off I ain't getting myself in any other debt mm. I don't need that stress at this time in my life and then for them, you don't blame them, but then let's talk about the generation that it gets passed down to. It's like, well, boy, I've never really had money in my life. Mm. I've always kind of been back to the wall. It'd be nice to have a good 20, 30, yeah. 40, 50, 60 grand that I know I've just got in the bank. Yeah. But actually, you know, we need to educate ourselves about generational wealth. And that's something that we don't really know about. So, you know, it's got to start. And we just have to start it. It, it. You know, we have to start it within our own homes. You know, there's a saying that from if you're Jamaican, let dance at home before you dance, dance abroad. abroad. So mm. you've just got to do it within your own family. Mm. We can't we can't try to keep just saving the whole community and saying, yeah, we've got to teach everyone. Yeah, we can do that. But do you know what? Probably just deal with your your internal first. first. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you can maybe start sharing that experience. But I think it, it is down to external factors as well. Mm. Um, but, you know, again, our journey, we, we came here, our parents came here, they were hard workers. We, we're workers mm, um, mm. And, and that's what we need to change yeah. our, our attitude towards how we make money for real for real so you've left home left mm. um, the Kensal Green home what was your journey at that point what was you pursuing what type of things did you did you um, involve in I, I never wanted to leave home okay. I always as a young per person I've, I've been an entrepreneur since the age of 14 yeah and and um my my plan was to just make money, mm. stay home, make money, be able to buy a house. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, I wanted that from a really young age. Um, I wanted to go into accountancy. I, I, I it would never have suited me. I, I did start off actually studying accounts. What? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I can't see how I would ever be yeah. an accountant. It just wouldn't suit me. If anyone knows my first name. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, for, sorry for any accountants listening, but the, the talk is that you're boring. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Just a, I could, whether you're not boring or not, I couldn't do, I don't believe I would have done that job. But I, I, I from a young age, I, can't, I equated that to money, just mm. the managing of money mm. and handling money. Mm. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. But um, I had a child at the age of 18. Mm -hmm. um, but really, even before that, I was doing things that my parents didn't really know about mm -hmm. that... Um, really I shouldn't have been doing it whilst living at home I hear and you. that was the biggest thing that actually made I left home because of the activity that I was involved in and I didn't want to bring 
No shame to the door. To the front door. What? I, I never brought police to my parents' Talk home. about moral compass, yeah, bro. Yeah, I never brought police to my parents' home. And I just figured that, listen, I wouldn't want that to happen. So you'd rather so, leave. So the biggest reason I left home was because I what I was doing um, potentially, you know, could have brought some embarrassment and shame yeah, to my yeah. parents, which they never brought me up that way. So I, t- so I left home. I had a child around the same time. Yeah. Um, so that yeah that was the biggest factor for me leaving home and I remember I didn't kind of I, I kind of actually still had a room there and stuff and I remember my parents just like what are you just leaving like that but I also did have a child as well yeah and then um, made made a go of it with, with, with my daughter's mum how how was that because I, I know from personal perspective my mum's gonna kill me for st- putting that thing out there but sorry mum but she had a kid at 19 yeah and, and um, I had two by 19 woo! for two different women wow so it's whilst you're avoiding bringing shame to the parents door from a, a mm. police standpoint obviously growing up in a christian household it's like the whole idea of having kids out of wedlock and stuff yeah how was that conversation to say like oh mom dad like i'm gonna you like, i don't do you know what again right i mean i could have been a dad at 15 <laughs> and my and my dad knew about my parents knew of that right so I don't think that there was overly too much surprise right. on their part when it happened at 18. Mm-hmm. Obviously at 19, another, like not the same person. And you know, the person I had my child with at 18 was my school mm-hmm. girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, so she wasn't new to it. It wasn't a big surprise. Um, I, it's difficult because I think, cause I, I, you know, I, I started off by talking about that independence. Yeah. I think cause I was so independent had left home yeah. as well I wasn't bringing no drama to my parents I was getting on with it I was getting on with doing what I had to do to try and support my children and the mothers of my children so there wasn't a whole I don't know what my parents was going through if I'm honest okay. in terms of at church yeah. how they were dealing with that yeah. Pass that up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have two kids, you know, you know, more like than 19. 19. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, T. Um, but my parents are, they're open books. Yeah. So they would have probably just said it how it was. Mm-hmm. But I didn't bring the drama to them. You just left and got on with it. Didn't bring, I never brought the drama to them. I never, I've literally never have. I've literally never have brought anything. So it's crazy because I was talking just two weeks ago to a bunch of men and they were actually Christian. I, I went on a course. Mm. I, was, I was invited to, to speak to some fathers and I didn't know it was actually going to be Christian men. Mm-hmm. They were all Christian. Okay. And, and I was talking about my upbringing and I was telling them some of, you know, things that I was involved in. Um, and I said, but let me tell you, I never brought no drama to my parents. None of this came to my parents. Like they, they didn't, I think my mum and dad know some of the stuff I may have been involved in now. Okay. But they know it after the fact. They right. never knew it. Whilst it was happening. No. Wow. No. Wow. They didn't. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. So, what was some of the, um, what was some of the, what were some of the things you engaged in in terms of your early years of entrepreneurship? Um, oh. <laughs> so, I call it, I, <laughs> where do I go with this? Sensitively. So, um, at school, um, I would sell pens, pencils, rubbers. Um, I would acquire from other people massive chocolate bars and sell pieces of chocolate to people. Same. Yep. Um, and things like that. And then, um, 
I knew that there were people, youngsters in my school, um, or, or friends who smoked cannabis, mm. and I didn't, mm-hmm. or at the time, and um, I figured that I could. I would just ask them, "Where are you getting it from?" And just places I'd never yeah, heard yeah, yeah. And I figured that I, I could probably there was people where I lived near where I lived who yeah. I could probably get that from. Yeah. So yeah, I got involved in doing that. I got involved. I I, I remember spending fifteen pounds. What? Um, making five pound profit, spending another fifteen pounds, making another five pound profit, and then making twenty five pounds, which means I had twenty five pounds. I could get a bigger quantity, mm. and I did that. Um, I then I think I I I always worked. I left school and went straight to. I worked. My first job was working for Pizza Hut. Oh what? Um, that was my first job. What well, in in the restaurant world when the restaurants existed? Delivery. As delivery. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so I also then started selling designer clothing. Okay. So I used to use the bike to do just distribute pieces. Yes. Yes. Everything else as well. Yeah. So I yeah. Selling designer clothing. Um, I then got into computing um, and opened a shop, a computer repair shop, um, where I made and repaired computers. Um, there's been lots, there's been things along the way that mm. I've, yeah. So that was kind of my, 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 yeah. There, there would be other things. There would have been other things in there as well. So what's one of the first things that you put your, your, your hands to that you said, okay, like, I'm proud to present this to the world and to like... I think it would have been getting involved in IT because I think when I got involved I my year at school was the first year we was able to take GCSE IT computer um, okay I, I picked it and never got it given to me right so I had a disdain for computers and IT I, I turned my back on it wanted nothing to do with it and when I left home at 18 and started living with my friends one of my friends had a computer and look for the youngsters listening we're talking about dial-up modems that like you know 56k modems that take you ages just yeah. to get connected yeah 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 and um, he used to have that in his room I was I had no interest and one of the most profound things that happened to me in my life although I had two children by the age of 19 was a trip I took to Atlanta Georgia oh wow when I was I think I was 23 years old when that happened and I've got fr- I had friends out there who were working in the IT industry and they were doing jobs that were paying great, but they were able to also fund a standard of living in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. And at that time, I was now working for the post office. Okay. Um, and I came back to the UK and essentially never worked again for anyone. I, I came back and um, I called in sick, um, never went back to work. I went back into work on my birthday, which was the 28th of December. Bearing in mind, I flew out in October for mm-hmm. two weeks to Atlanta. So you're talking that I was off work for a good two months when I was coming back. What? Went in and I resigned. I remember saying to my boss, and he's passed away now, um, a gentleman by the name of Dave Cullen, proper East London gangster-looking guy, loads of sovereigns. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just think about Ray Winston, big grey beard. That's exactly how he was. And I said, Dave, look, thanks, but um, no thanks. I'm better than this. Um, no disrespect to you or anybody in here, but I know I can do better than this. Wow. And I remember, I remember being in Atlanta, Georgia, um, which was even more profound than things that my parents had told me. I think most of us have heard our parents say, you can do anything you want. You could be anything you want. But I never believed that until I was 23 years old, standing in Atlanta, Georgia, in America. I stayed in a hotel, a motel that was black owned. I met a 36-year-old female sheriff. I, w- I met air pilots. 
um, I met business owners and mm. I saw black people who were successful. Wow. And I remember looking in the sky, watching the aeroplane just fly over, thinking, I could fly that plane. Wow. Like, actually, really believing that, yes, I don't have the skills, but I could fly that plane. If mm. someone taught me that I got the capacity to learn, you could do that. I could do that. Mm. Like, I really believed it. And I never went back to work. And I studied, I went into IT, and I think I, I became a certified Cisco network engineer. And I never used that qualification because when I got into the field, it was saturated. Mm. But that was the time in my life. Achieving that qualification made me knew that I could do anything. Wow. Like it was the only limitations really was going to be probably money. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense of if I really wanted to become a pilot, well, I'd need money for that. But the knowledge base was there. That I, I could do anything. Like I'd... Street, I, and I still believe that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That there isn't a job that I couldn't do if given given the time and the and the the you know the access, which is the biggest issue that we face for our young yeah. young people. It's access. access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, I remember we were speaking one time. Did you tell me that you was a DJ at one point? I was a DJ. Ooh, God, tell me a bit about that. <laughs> the hidden history, boy. Oh, one so, second, right. Courtney, the, the um, take the the key there. And, you sure? Yeah. Michael, sorry. So, um, yeah, being a DJ, well, what can I say? I um, had a friend and have a friend still called um, Peanut, DJ yeah. Peanut or Peanut. Large up. He, he was known as Peanut and rest in peace, Komari. Barnes, rest son. in peace, Komari, man. Um, he was a friend of mine. And yeah, when I was a postman at the time and he used to be on the radio and I used to go up and listen to him and I, I got into, I started to like, I used to, as a youngster, I used to like reggae, reggae. Yeah. But I got onto soul, started to like soul, started to buy like music, CDs, whatever. And I remember we used to just go up to the radio station while he was playing music and he used to do a slice of soul and I used to think, oh God, man, you just play the same tracks every week. <laughs> <laughs> just play the same Mary J. like seven days. Like, I'm like, come on, bro. Yeah. Do some other tunes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, I would, um, I, um, I decided to start with... Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry, go on. So I, I, um, I decided that I would start bringing a few tracks in for him. So he played them. They started to get a bit of traction. People were like, rewind, whatever. And then he started saying, yo, like, you know, introduce your tracks. And I'm like, no. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not a DJ. He's like, like introduce your... I'm like, nope. Don't even think about it. So then he started saying, well, we've got this anonymous guy in the studio who's been bringing us, who's got music, who's been selecting the track. So he started to hot you up silently. So, right. So he just called, because I wouldn't speak, yeah. he called me the anonymous, right, right. anonymous guy, which is how I then got my name, yeah. DJ Anonymous. Okay. And, and, right, that's where the name came from. Because what happened was, um, I then started to actually just do a breakfast show, but with no talking, just playing music back to back. Okay. At that time, I liked music. And it, I was just playing CDs. Mm. Went on a trip to, um, I think it may have been that, well, would it have been that same trip to Atlanta? I don't know if it was that same trip, but I remember, I think it may well have been that trip. And I decided to buy a track yeah. on, on, on vinyl. I didn't have any 12, 10, no turntables or anything. I decided to buy a track on vinyl mm. um, because I loved this track. But here's the thing, like, this is, if you're going to play hip hop and stuff like that, well, you're going to need to play it on record and you're going to need to be able to mix. So I bought this track and then came back to England and started buying vinyl. So started buying vinyl, I had to buy turntables and a mixer. 
um, I used to play the drums in church. Mm -hmm. So nobody taught me how to mix because I had a natural understanding of beats and how beats work. So I started just mixing tracks at home and then I started buying records, spent thousands of pounds on music, like thousands. Do you still have the collection? No. <sighs> Don't say that. I'm, 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 my, my, my collection is in bricks and mortar. Um, I, when I fell out of love with DJing, yeah. I, didn't, I had 2,000 records and I was like, well, what am I going to do? A lot of old guys have records sitting in their attics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, what, 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 what use is that? Um, if I want to give my records to my children, my, my boys are 18 and 15, like, I could play music on my watch. Like, I literally could play you a track on my watch now. Mm. You could go and DJ on something as small as this. Mm. What, what good is my records going to mm. be? And, I, and again, let's take you back. I've grown up in a Christian home, bro. I mm. didn't hear music playing in my mm. house. So it wasn't really me. As good as people told me I was, and as much fun, and I'm sure babies that were made from the selections that I played, <laughs> it wasn't me. And I fell out of love with it. As wow. quick as I fell in love with it, I was getting bookings to play out, and I didn't really want to play out. I didn't want to be, I was booked, deposits paid to play out in clubs, and it's like I've got to honour these bookings, but I don't want to be there. Mm. So it became hard. When I stopped enjoying it, it became hard. Mm. And, um, I just made the decision that I was retiring and I did. And wow. I had the records sitting there and yeah, one someone decided they wanted to buy my records and one person bought all my records for me in one go. And um, I invested that money. And, I, and I, I definitely do not regret that day. Serious? 100%. I would never, I would not change anything. I'm, I'm happy for the experience I had. I loved it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I wouldn't change a thing. I'd sell those records again in the same, at the same rate. 100%. I think one of the reasons why I, um, I probably gravitated towards just you and your energy very quickly on is because you had a lot of tendencies that reminded me of my dad. I remember early 2000s and my dad started to phase out of the, the music production side of things. And one thing I always was confused about was, at the time anyway, because obviously I was young, but you see when a man stops and falls out of love with something, they just stop. It's like an abrupt, like emergency stop 100%. and forget everything. Because one minute I'm in Jetstar's studio every single week with him, and the next minute, it's nothing. You don't want to hear about no tracks. You don't want to hear about no backing vocals, no no mixer desk, nothing. And then this football. So with you saying that, it brought me back to that time of when you're done, that you're, you're just done. But it's yeah. not done to stop. It's on to the next thing. It's, and it, yeah, and it's so hard. It's a great way that you've put it because it's difficult to explain it. Like, because these guys who, they will never sell their music. And I, and I, make, I don't criticise them. I make no judgment yeah. of them. I totally get it. But it was something that I did just like the IT work I did, the computer work. Like, I, you ask me about computers now, I don't know nothing about it. You ask me about music now, I don't know nothing about it. Wow. I'm just out of touch. Yeah. You'd never believe that I was maybe one of those people that you came and raved to and listened to on the radio and stuff. And again, like, I don't know. I think my personality is such that you'll know me if you need to know me, mm. regardless of me being... DJ, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't, it's not important to me, that stuff. I remember when we was having the conversation originally and you brought up the, the DJ side of your history and 
you were saying how people only really started paying attention to your voice and what you had to say the moment that they, they realized you was a DJ. It's like this distraction and popularity that exactly. that people in our community just give to DJs and, and to producers and singers and stuff that you wouldn't give to your quote unquote average Joe. Yeah. How did you handle that sudden burst of like possibly attention and then just stopping it? Do you know what? I, I, it, I don't think it, 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 it wasn't sudden, yeah. it happened, it gradually happened. Um, I think I managed it well mm. just because I wasn't it wasn't something that um, what's the word it wasn't something that I, I craved I've had friends I've had girlfriends before mm. I became a DJ yeah, 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 yeah. you know I've had women or girls being fond of me before I was a DJ mm. so it didn't mean much to me okay. um, but it did I, I, I became uncomfortable with it I remember I remember vividly like it was yesterday that um, I my I came home one day or my girlfriend came home um, my, my daughter's mum and she had accused me of being in a dance <laughs> dancing with some girl and she was adamant because the hairdresser told her this was before yeah. Instagram and before you know the, Facebook do you know the strangest thing I just saw that like en route here yeah. I just saw the hairdresser who oh serious her, seriously literally and I don't see this girl very regular I don't yeah but I just happened to drive past yeah, her yeah, yesterday yeah. anyway it wasn't it wasn't me yeah. one thing about when I was out partying as a DJ whatever mm. it was two different people it was two personalities mm. and I would treat it as such mm. so if I was out I was like I'm on good behaviour. Yeah, I'm standing yeah, yeah, up yeah, in the corner, yeah. blah, 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 holding it down. And yeah, the person had obviously mixed up me and the person I was with right. and said that I was, because the person I was with, he, yeah, he had yeah, a good yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> he, had, you know, he had a good enough time uh, with both of us. Um, but yeah, it was things like that. People talking about you that don't know you. Mm. Your name's in people's mouths and they don't know you. Mm. I'd equate it to being a ghetto superstar. Not interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not interested. Yeah, yeah. So, it was an easy, just an easy decision. And, okay. um, something I don't regret at all. I don't regret being involved in it. I don't turn up my nose to people who are DJs or who are into that lifestyle. It's just, it wasn't for me. It was a stage in my life. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it and I moved on from it. Okay, okay. So then thereafter, when we'll talk about the business, business, the businesses that you've established, um, but when did you start to get a spark for just community development? And wow. So that happened when so my main my first business which was the computer business which i ran with, mm -hmm. with a, a friend of mine um richard um we had a shop in collierswood mm -hmm. we then had one in church lane in kingsbury um but we established that we probably would make more money as a call-out service mm -hmm. so we, we we closed the shop and made it a call-out type service and in doing that, I had a lot more time on my hand and just kind of felt, well, I felt I just started to reflect on guys that I'd grown up with. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these guys were still on road mm -hmm. doing certain things. Some of them were dead. Mm -hmm. Some of them were in prison, long sentences. And I thought, you know what? I've got something to give back. I'm not successful in a sense of I'm not rich, mm -hmm. but I felt like I've got something to pass on. How have I been able to navigate through Northwest London, Northwest Ten, know some of the the, the, the bigger characters, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so to speak, rub shoulders with them, 
even been involved in certain things, but I'm still here. Mm. I must, I've got something to give it's back. It's a purpose, yeah. So I got involved. Um, my bro- I remember telling my older brother and he spoke to me about an organisation at the time who were called Boys to Men. Yep. And they were offering training and things like that. So I went and did some training with them. Um, that's a that's a that's a whole separate story in itself. But I that got me on the road. I started doing mentoring, mm-hmm. um, and really quickly fell out of love with mentoring. Whoa! Yeah, because what I realized from my perspective is that I was I felt that I was an overpaid babysitter. Right. I, felt that I was affecting these young boys in their classes for the day, sometimes for the week, but ultimately. These, this would be undone depending on the type of households they were living in. Yeah. So I felt like it would be much more impactful if I could work with families yeah. and parents in yeah. some way, shape. The whole way. infrastructure rather than exactly. just one. Yeah, yeah. And then an opportunity presented itself to me um, where I then um, started to work with fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did a training. I did some training on a, on a, on a parenting program called Strengthening Families, okay. Strengthening Communities. Now, this training was designed over in California by a number of professionals about four of them so to speak and Marilyn Steele was one of the people she's now passed away rest their soul mm-hmm. but she came over to deliver this training and I was one of the um, I, few but many people that were blessed to have this woman to have her come and train us because it doesn't work like that now the people who made the program are not the people who deliver the training mm-hmm. um, so there's not a lot of people who've had that privilege and this woman and the way she trained and this program it was so impactful on me like just as even as a father and as a parent I was being trained to train um, to deliver to to parents but actually it had an effect on me and um, made me understand that community is important like way more important than any individual person because I could be doing all the the things I think are great within my house but my children have to leave my house Mm -hmm. and they have to be part and we are part of a wider community and so I realised then that there needed to be much more done. And actually, that would be when I first really came into contact and with your dad, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, rest his soul. Because mm-hmm. I remember he was one of the people I invited um, when I wanted to start, when I started an organisation called um, um, Action in, in the, the Community. community. Um, and I just invited who I felt were people that were community, people that were influential mm-hmm. in the community. Um and wanted them to be part of something. Didn't know what it really was going to be. So that was really it. I think that was the catalyst that, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a way bigger picture than just me. Mm. Um, I think also I was doing a bit of talk, of talk show on, okay. on, on, on Unique Radio at the time. Okay. And I remember I had a big falling out. Um, I was kind of kicked off, if I'm honest. I was kind of kicked off stroke left because I had made a comment on someone else's show that I felt that community radio stations were... A load of rubbish yeah. and nonsense because actually all community radio stations were doing was pumping music into the community some of it not very positive yeah. um, 24 hours a day 7 days mm. a week and I was frustrated that the, sh- the, radio- the station I was on was only allotting one hour for us to talk about the things that were affecting us as a oh, brother, it's a valid point uh, it's, it's, I've got a major major gripe here with the fact that we've come over here and we've innovated the the sound system industry and the community radio industry and all that stuff and for some reason it just hasn't evolved it's the same thing now as it has been for for so long yeah. so you see in america you've got like 
um, radio stations like The Breakfast Club or mm. Hot 97 and yeah. they, they, whilst they're breaking records to make them hits, it's just as important and it's just as important for them to talk about like social issues and mm. things to do with the community exactly. and stuff. We don't do that for whatever reason. But, and, and even worse, we're not even breaking new tunes. We're playing the same songs over and over and over this again. Is, this is it. The seat, the circuit, I was on. I could go back now with all the records I were playing 20 years ago and still entertain. <sighs> It's crazy. It's crazy. So it is, yeah. It, 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 that was really frustrating that, like, we're not talking. Like, yeah. How can we grow? Yeah. How can we grow? We're just playing music and mm. just going to dances on the weekend. Like, really? Yeah. So that was, yeah, that for me was like, well, we got to do something. Mm. So that was, I think that was the... The catalyst. Yeah. So... Father Figure came first before I, I, no, AITC. Oh, AITC. Oh, AITC came first? Yeah. Ah. Yes, All right, so talk to me a bit about AITC. That's Action in the Community. So, yeah, so Action in the Community, there was a number of co-founders as well uh -huh. who were people who were invited along and, and, and stayed along and stayed together. And we, we put on, a, we started the Pride of Brent Awards, which, yeah. you know, your dad, um, the picture that most people see of your dad today is that picture that we took when we awarded him. Bro, you were the only person and the only organisation who gave him flowers whilst he was still alive. The mm -hmm. only organ. Everybody else, they came with their talks about MBEs and renaming this award after him and renaming this event after him. You're the only person who gave him some type of flowers whilst he was alive. And that is something I will never, ever forget because there's this one picture that we people keep using of him smiling and stuff. Don't realise that was from that the Pride of Brent Awards. Yeah, exactly. But bro, large up. Yeah, so tell me a bit about, uh, yeah, about the so, awards. Yeah, so I mean, I think, I think I, I got a big up Marcia. Marcia was one of the people who definitely had your dad's name in their mouth. Like, yeah. he, he deserves that. I mean, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't seen Marcia for years, okay. if I'm honest. But yeah, shout out to Marcia. Um, Louis, um, I think Ricky was involved at the time. There was there was a number of us um, that were, Nikki, um, that were just involved in that. And the idea was to, to, um, to reward and award um, young black people within our community, but also look at a community award for someone who was doing something. Mm that we felt was special within mm -hmm. our community. And it's a shame, you know, because Brent Council, <laughs> put it out there, have, have, have taken the name of the awards, yeah. the Pride of Brent Awards, and it's cool, because if, if I am ever to do that again, I will use the same name. Easily, easily. We, we put it, we used it, we done it first. Um, but I think that it was important. I think that a lot of the stuff that I've done has been ahead of its time. Yeah. It's been really unfortunate because, you know, it was called the Pride of Brent. We used Brent's logo. And we wanted Brent to, to, to endorse to, it, to endorse it yeah. and, and to fund it in some way. And, and unfortunately, they wouldn't. Mm. And, and unfortunately, it, we couldn't sustain it. We yeah. were, you know, we were trying to, we were raising money to put on the awards. And, and I think it's important, sorry to cut you, bro. It's important to emphasize that this weren't some dege dege community hall, little projector thing. Like it was no. full on production tables and yeah, lighting and everything. It was the real deal, man. Yeah, VTs. I mean, I know your dad. Yeah, you man. VT for your dad. Um, where we had interviewed people, yeah, um, and you know, people had commented on the awards. We were doing that, mm. you know, years ago, mm. um, and it was it was inspirational to the people who I think received the awards. So I think one of the awards was highest academic achievement. Yeah, um, you know, we had young black kids from the area getting like 10, 12 A stars. Yeah, like, we yeah, don't yeah. hear these stories. Yeah, and even to this day, like I mean, I think that I think that would have been thirteen. 13, 14 years ago mm, mm. we were doing that 
way before his time. You know? Way and, before and his we, time. You can see that that's needed now. We, yeah. we, we only hear about young black youth when they're murdered, mm. when they've murdered. We, we just don't get it. And, and like, we have to do it ourselves. I'm, yeah. I'm not in the space of, I mean, we can talk about why it's not done by mm. others, but why aren't we doing it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, why aren't we doing it? No one's stopping us from doing it. So, yeah, I think it was ahead of its time. It really was Definitely. ahead of its time. I think an awarded ceremony like that, if it was around now, would be deemed excellent and innovative. Well, we did it 13 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably won't you get know? a Netflix deal for them, them, yeah. them ideas there. Yeah, so. So what was the, um, what was the feeling that you got? Because the first one was, the first Pride of Brent Awards was 2013. That was the one, right? Uh, was it 2013? I'm trying to think now. Possibly. Possibly. I'll, 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 yeah, something like that. It was around yeah, that yeah, period yeah, in yeah, time yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think it's around that. And I, I remember going to um, the one that my dad got awarded and just I remember looking in the room and just being overwhelmed with just like the fact that we're here to talk about success. Yeah. It wasn't this like when some somebody's died and we're here to talk about communities and what we should do and the things we're not doing. It yeah. was a group of people from the community celebrating the success of young people. How did you feel after the success of it and just how it became like an entity, entity by itself. I, I was, I always felt quite emotional. Yeah. Um, when the night was over, I would always find it difficult to say something at the end. I don't know that I ever really did. It was just quite emotional for me to just see people in a room being celebrated like that. Yeah. As you said, like to give people their flowers whilst they're alive, I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think for me, it was just, it just had a, 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 a I think even in the work that I do today, I mean, I never got paid for that work, mm-hmm. that, the, that for that, obviously, mm-hmm. like there was no wages to take. I never got anything back for the time that I put in. But even to the work that I do now, I tell people I get paid twice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I get paid financially, but I get paid with the ethics of mm-hmm. like people's gratitudes and say, seeing life's changed from the work that I do. Like, you can't beat it. Like, I don't yeah. feel like I've done a day's work in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. 10 years or so. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I get paid twice, 100%. Mm. When you make changes for people that change their lives and change the direction of their life, yeah, mm. you can't really put a... Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I don't know. And I don't know where that... Um, I don't know where that passion come from. Yeah. If I'm honest. I don't know. I don't know. I just think maybe that's... That's my calling. I, yeah. was just meant, I was meant to do that. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. I think looking on just your journey over the past 12 to 13 years and your denial to stay stagnant because then <laughs> the Pride of Brent Award happens and stuff like that. And ARTC is um is making a, a very strong impact within the community. Um, And then 2011 comes and you're like, all right, cool, I'm going to do something on Father's Day. I'm like, yeah. Already we have a negative stigma about Father's and Father's Day and it, like, so a lot of kids just don't see their dads on Father's Day. Yeah. Um, a lot of dads who want to see their kids don't see their kids on Father's Day, but you decide to put on this event, which has now become annual and a staple for the local community on Father's Day. Um, what was the catalyst for you to say, okay, I'm going to do this thing on Father's Day and it'll be the launch for this new venture that I'm starting on independently? Yeah, it kind of came, it came from a bit of adversity. Uh-huh. Um, so I talked about starting working after doing the the the, the, um, the mentoring work. I I then got into working for a charity. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I did explain that, but I did after Voice to Men and stuff. I started working for a charity, mm-hmm. 
and um, I got the job through an unofficial interview with the head of H Human Resources. Okay. Who kind of shook her head, looking at me on a piece of paper. Said, "I'm not interested. I'm not actually interested in you on paper." I had IT background. Like, right, right, said, right. I'm listening to you speak, and I'm, you know, I'm a little, I'm quite inspired. I think you're going to run a project here one day. Long story short, I, I get given a job to do what's called father's work, okay. and that was happening in children's centres, Sure Start centres at the time, and the idea was that the idea of a sure start center was to give children a sure start mm. in life. What they found is that actually they were not able to really um, engage much fathers during this process and they wasn't. And they were understanding that research was showing that, you know, fathers are important to children mm. and their development. So anyway, I get a job doing father's work and um, get made redundant within, a not like the project, it was a million pound project, to mm. be honest, in one of the London boroughs. The, the charity neglected to kind of invest any further and it came to an end. The funding came to an end. They knew it was coming to an end. They didn't look for work elsewhere. They just let it peter out, which was really disappointing. Now, I spoke to you about being an entrepreneur, making money since the age of 14. So whilst I've always made money, I've always worked or studied, I've never been in a position where I didn't know where my next... Paycheck was coming from. And this time I was. Yeah. I knew that in four weeks' time, I wouldn't have any more money coming into my That's account. foreign to you, man. Absolutely. Abs- absolutely foreign, foreign. to me. Um, you know, I, I remember, I remember you, like, I didn't even used to use a cash card. Like, I just had cash. <laughs> I always had, I, like, you, I'd always have a couple hundred pounds in my pocket. Like, yeah. I didn't know what that meant. So, like, that was just strange. And... Um, Mentally, and I was like, what? Mm. Someone, I can't make, I'm not going to have, like, what about my children, my family? Mm. So I had that. And then um, I was actually re-employed by the same charity on another project. Okay. Um, as a family worker within about two to three weeks. I right. interviewed, got a job. Um, but the, the horse was bolted. The, the horse was gone now. Like, this was not, no. You will never forget that feeling. No, you can't have me in that place. Yeah. So... I knew I wanted to do something with fathers. I had no idea. How could I replicate what I was actually doing? Mm. That, I just didn't have any idea, but came up with the name Father Figure. I, um, I had um, someone do me a, um, a logo, Big Up Torian, who'd done that logo for me. Mm. Um, and I had something, but I didn't know what it was. And then I started, I, I, I had some adversity with a, a, a young white female manager that I had who was basically I can look back now and say with full confidence and understanding that she was intimidated by um, who I was Mm -hmm. um, which is not foreign for us as black Mm -hmm. men for people to be intimidated although I don't feel like her intimidation was more on the whole he's aggressive side it was more on my understanding of my job my role the way that I communicated with people Mm -hmm. um, and my ability to do that Mm -hmm. And so she made my life really difficult. And I think that's the one time in my life I've ever even been close to any form of like depression type thing going on for me. Because I'm a very strong character. Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. Th- those things, I don't succumb to those. Yeah. But it was crazy just to see what she was actually doing and to actually have the papers and the evidence to know that someone's doing this to you. And you're thinking, why? So is that did it have a strong hold on you because at that point you were like subject to the like the chains of being an employee so you couldn't really like move the way you wanted to move? I don't know because because to be fair it, it was different yeah because I was work I was an employee before that but yeah. it was very different 
the way I was working. The mm. way I worked before was very more independent. Yeah. And now I was kind of like const- in a constant under someone. But I don't know. I was warned. Th- th- to be fair, this, this person had that tendency. A lot of people had left because, because of, of her. her. So it wasn't new. It wasn't just me. Um, it wasn't unique to, to, to myself, mm-hmm. what was happening. So, yeah, I think... Sorry, bruv, you got water? There's water there for you, feel like. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, okay. Nice one. Yeah, so I think I think that um, um, I decided that I would um, just do this. I, obviously, I had it, that work had stopped, but I felt yeah. with my experience of what I was going, what I what where I'd grown up, the people I'd grown up around. Mm. The lack of father figures I'd seen in my with my peers, some mm-hmm. of my peers, I was like, no, nah, this work needs to continue, yeah. and I need to continue this work because it's one thing saying you've got people doing this work, but not anyone can do this work with the people who it needs to be done with. with. So I was like, no, nah, I need to do this work. This needs to continue, and um, so I decided to do this Father's Day event. And I remember my wife, mm-hmm. who was my girlfriend at the time, kind of saying, well, "Why are you doing this? Like, you're taking money to put on this thing." Where you like? What's this about? It's yeah. not, and it's not something you're gonna make money from. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, just look, I need to do it. I just feel like I need to do it. I want to do it. Mm. Um, and that event had a couple, like just under two hundred people, I think, hundred fifty, hundred to two hundred people there. That was done at um, Poplar Grove, mm-hmm. and it got some newspaper coverage. And to cut a long story short, I mean, I, I then get a call from someone called Julie Morris. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Julie Morris. Mm-hmm. Um, who was a children's centre manager at the time, she said she wanted to do a bit of joint up work with me um, because she had seen the interview and I said I wanted to do something for Black History Month. We did something in Stonebridge in, in that, um, the, the Faywood Centre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then some months later, I get a call from someone in Brent Council saying that they need some work done in the local authority. And eight years, well, nine years later from that date, I still have a contract with Brent Council. And that's, you know, that's what grew from me just saying I wanted to do one event. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? That's 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 called following your intuition, you know, and, and like understanding what your calling is, but walking in that calling though. Because yeah. that that event itself has also led to um, a major pillar of support for fathers. Mm. But you also incorporated the football side of things yeah. by using what is the cornerstone or one of the cornerstones in every black community of mm. the barbershop. Where yeah. the hell did that idea come from to say, I'm going to start? It came from a conversation with someone else. Yeah. I'm not going to um, profess to yeah, 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 yeah. to be the, the whole... But I, I, I can't remember who it was I had the conversation with, if, if I'm honest. But it did come from a conversation with someone else. Uh-huh. And I thought to myself, this is it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I grew it. Mm. I grew that what was said to me because I, I I realized that look I'm having this event right that I know is an inspiration to but there's so many people don't come to mm. this event all right and 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 it's it's like it's like church it's like preaching to the choir the choir day every week they're gonna rock up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're gonna rock up mm-hmm. and one of the biggest bugbears in my work is that I don't get to hand over pass on the knowledge and my experience to people until often something devastating or challenging some traumatic ex- situation has already occurred mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, well, how do I get guys to value, to come to this event? It's the one thing, some people will value it, but how do you get people to come? And I thought, well, football. Mm. What happens in the barbershop? And mm. that's, you know, the whole barbershop element of it, making it barbers and fathers. Like, yeah. People talk about football in the barbers all the, the time. time. Men are in the barbers. Men yeah. have got children. Yeah. So why not make it a competition between the barbers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wicked. And I mean, actually, originally I wanted it to be radio stations. And uh-huh. if I'm honest with you, it, it, it that that didn't it didn't get um it didn't get taken. And I'm to be fair, I'm glad it wasn't about radio stations. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a bit different. And um, I always I just felt that look, I need something that gets your average guy to this event. And I I couldn't make it purely. If I made it about alcohol and music, I knew I could get people there, but that doesn't quite mesh with children yep. and families. Yep. So I had to come different. Yep. And I know that a lot of guys are into their football, mm. guys go to the barber. So even if you're not really into your football or you're not going to play the football, mm-hmm. there's that banter within your barber shop. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're in this tournament. And they take it serious. Oh, man. Seen it, bro. They take it. I'm talking about the barbers, as well. they take it serious, <laughs> boy. When June comes, they're they're prepped and ready. Yeah. yeah. Um. Now you've that's become an entity by itself. You know, without a doubt, there's going to be your world of fathers and families attending the Father's Day event wherever you wherever you decide to um to to host it. Um. But touching on the subject of fathers now, um, you you've become more or less the spokesperson and the specialist in this field amongst a couple other um organizations. You also do work with fathers, but there's two perspectives I want to touch on to get your 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 um your input in. The first being, where do black males go wrong from a father's standpoint? Because we, obviously, I'm not going to say the blame is totally on the male's perspective because we know it's not. But where, based upon your experiences as a father and who you've worked with, where's some of the main catalysts of where we go wrong and why the stereotype of the the black household being fatherless being a thing? Where where do we where have we gone wrong? So I'm not I'm not sure the stereotype is quite correct. Personally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there are way like way more fathers involved in their children's lives than would be perceived to believe. It, I mean, just look at the media. Name me a positive father mm-hmm. that is black, male, strong black man mm-hmm. that you see in the media. Yeah. Or on TV. Yeah. I don't I don't see them. They just don't show them to yeah. us. But but I'd be I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't something, there were some issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I want to preface that by saying that, listen, because I've often heard the thing like, you know, from black women, black men are this, black men are that. And yes, in one sense, understand you are only qualified to talk about black men mm-hmm. because you only date mm-hmm. black men. Mm-hmm. But guess what? If you dated Polish men, mm. Pakistani men, um, men from you know, different cultures, mm-hmm. you might find that there are a load of things that come with those men mm. that you equally don't like yeah, yeah, and yeah. don't want. Yeah. So we need to be very careful in that. But that we're keep... pigeonholing black men as exactly. in it's a black man issue. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there are issues, there are some issues that are universal for fathers and men. There are some issues that are more prevalent mm. from my experience within different communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, from my experience, what are one of the things that black men struggle with? I think my opinion is that black men struggle to maintain relationships, good enough relationships with their children after the breakdown of a relationship with their mothers. Okay. Now, I'm not saying they, that on a the whole, they don't 
because there were many, as I said, there were a lot of men who do still have relationships, but it's the quality of the relationship itself. Yeah, I call it good enough. Mm -hmm. Is it good enough? Because we can talk about good enough fathering. What is good enough for us here in the UK Mm. may not be good enough for a young black kid in Brazil Mm. or a young black kid in Jamaica. Because in Jamaica, in Brazil, for example, education is going to be your way out. Nothing other than, well, education is free here. Mm. Mm. Like, we don't see kids walking barefoot. We don't see kids going without food. So fundamentals are, are supplied for our children here in the mm. Western world or in the UK, they're going to get the basics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's more in time? What's more important, sorry, your presence mm. or your presence or your time? It's interesting. I had a discussion with somebody the your other day. Your money or your time. Your money or your time. Yeah. gifts. Yeah. Yeah. What's more important, your money or your time? I had this discussion with somebody the other day um, and now I'm in, I've been in the position for... 2021 for about seven years now of not having my dad physically here and I sat down to myself I was thinking why like I wonder why I haven't had like aside from like my brother my, my granddad and stuff but in terms of from a um my dad's age group perspective why I wonder why like none of his bridgings of like offered the olive branch or offers to support in some way shape or form and I always sat back thinking I wonder if you some people look at a kid and say okay his dad's there and his mum's there he or she is fine. Because you see them physically there, you want to, you just automatically come to the, the assumption that, that that person, that kid's fine, they don't need nothing else. But based upon what you're saying about being physically present may not like, automatically translate to absent, you spending absent, time with we people. Absent fathers, we live in the home. We live in the home, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. And there's so many factors to that. Like, obviously we know that socially now, like, the pressures that we have on us mm. to, to go and make money and earn money it's, yeah. it's a lot different mm. but then there's also some of it is like um, the traditional expectations and things that we have because it's and this is why I choose to, to support fathers mm-hmm. as opposed to just dig them out and find the, the, their faults because the reality is that well what do you do mm. What's, what do you do even if even if I'm to take the blueprint from my dad I'm gonna, I'm gonna fail. Mm. If mm. I go with my dad, who's still married to my mum to to this day, and has always been there for me, I'm still not gonna be a good enough father. My dad didn't help me with my education; he mm. couldn't, mm. but he didn't. Mm. So if I just go by his blueprint, which is the traditional one, which is to be, which is what me, a lot of men think is to be the breadwinner, protector, disciplinarian, you're, that's not enough to do. Yeah. And if it's not enough, who's teaching? Who's supporting men? and fathers to actually know that that's not enough and that you need to do more yeah. where'd you go for that yeah. and then we haven't even talked about the young man who hasn't got a father full stop mm. Mm. or the young man who's got a father who's not a great example so <laughs> so what, what would your advice be to someone who has had a sour breakup with the mother of their child and the usual implications that, that come with that stuff in terms of like custody and mm. child benefits and all that stuff like what, what would your advice be initially to know that you'll take L's yeah. and this is a concept I've come up with recently having a conversation with someone really recently you're going to take L's you're going to take a lot of L's because mm. I think that's another one of the problems that we have as men is that we've got we have listen we hear ego spoken about a lot there's nothing wrong with having an ego but what is what can be quite um, 
impactful is um, in a negative way is not understanding your ego and how it may stop you achieving things and I think you need to understand that in that situation you will not have the power and you're going to take else and the way I like to equate it and I've come to this really recently having finished a court case with one of my clients and I've told him that it was a positive outcome mm -hmm. and he's left me a voice note two days later saying I know you said it was positive I'm a fighter so I'm going to put it to you in fighting senses in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way like a fighter he said I feel like I got the result because you told me I got the result but I feel like I got knocked down three times during the fight and I've won on points it doesn't feel like a win mm, yeah. so you may take multiple L's in a year yeah. in a 12 month period you may take 12 L's mm -hmm. but you got another 17 years so I think that My, I would encourage guys that, look, it can be challenging. It doesn't always go your way. It might not be how you dreamt it, how you wanted it to be. You've got, now you've got a child growing up with, in a, in a household with another guy maybe. Yeah. And a lot of the time I see men, because we can't be vulnerable and can't speak about that, it then becomes a mental health issue. Mm. It's, it's no coincidence that male suicide is the highest. Yeah. Right? So we don't talk about it. Um, If you talk about it to your brethren, you know, you might yeah. get a, a masculine type approach. That's this it. it's because you've you've definitely utilized the lockdown stuff and just again, you haven't remained stagnant, you've you've branded yourself, so you've allowed men to have a platform with the men yeah. talking. Um Zoom calls you do weekly. What are some of the reasons why you feel that men, we just don't talk, we just bottle up everything and then it becomes a mental health issue and it becomes a, a general health issue that gen that affects your heart and all that stuff. Like, why why don't we speak? Because it's, it's, it's inbred in us, isn't it? Mm. Boys don't cry. Mm. We get on with it. You fall over, you brush it off and you crack on. We don't cry. We don't we don't complain. You got, you, and, and, we're, and we think we're fixers. We think we're fixers. So... Even like myself, one of my weakest points is like if my wife's got a problem, instead of just sometimes she doesn't want me to fix it. She just wants me to listen. Do you know what I mean? But we're fixers. We want to fix. And so when we get into a situation that we can't fix, mm. yeah. God knows what do you do? Yeah. So, you know, historically we haven't really spoken. I think that if we just, we're, we're black, we're two black men here. Well, the people that we might have in front of us that we are offered for us to talk to, we don't, they won't. They're not culturally competent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They don't understand us. They mm -hmm. don't understand what we say and how we say it and why we say it. You know what I mean? For me to say, oh, clout, something like yeah. that, like they might want to start grabbing their <laughs> handbag and running out the room. And that's, I'm just, you yeah. know what I mean? I'm just venting a bit of um, frustration. So I think that there's, there's a lot of reasons, but mm -hmm. I think that, that rather than looking at those, I think we just have to understand that it's, look, You know, you, you brought it up. I didn't even remember that to start talking about that. Men, men talking, the mm -hmm. acronym is men, mental, talking, mm -hmm. and king. Mm -hmm. Men talking. Yeah. And um, that was born out of COVID. And we've had multiple sessions. And, you know, some of the guys that have come on there have just spoken about it feeling like free therapy. Yeah. Just to have that space to express yourself. And it's not like one-to-one -one. so it's not like guys are after like privacy or anything it's a group forum yeah but and you, you're, you're noticeably seeing that people they just want to talk 
they just want that platform where somebody will ask, is everything okay? And they, they just allow them to talk. Obviously, you, you guide it with, with topics and subjects and stuff, but yeah. they, you've got men actually talking. But having that space, it's, in, it's important. And the more people that can do that, the better, because I'm just one person and one... But it goes back mean? to what you were saying before about access. Yeah. It's just giving them the access to that exactly. space. That's, that, that's, that's brilliant, bro. Um, the second aspect I wanted to touch on is again from a um, a relationship standpoint, but from a female standpoint, where do mums go wrong? Because obviously, like I said, men, especially black men, take the blame and the hit so many times in regards to why they're not in their child's life, quote unquote. And we know a lot of the time it may not even be the male. Mm. Um, it, it could be the mum holding the kid hostage. It could be. Um, them wanting money and not getting any so you're not going to see the child until you pay XYZ but from your perspective based upon your experiences again and your um, who you've worked with where where have mums gone wrong and, and how, can, how can we improve on that? I think overwhelmingly I've been going to court and supporting men through court now for seven or eight years mm. and overwhelmingly with the cases that I take on which I, what I should say is I don't just take on any case um, and when, in any case I do take on the child is my client mm-hmm. whether you're paying me or not yeah. the child is my client so that means if I have to have sorry, some challenging conversations with you I will have those conversations yep. Okay. overwhelmingly what I can say with the cases that I've gone to court with is that the mother is not prioritising the child mm. the mother is prioritising her own needs Mm. desires Mm. and whatever that is whether it's emotional or whatever but they're not prioritizing their child Mm -hmm. if you prioritize your child you understand that they need to have a relationship with With their their father father. independent of yours whether dad's a waste man or not Mm -hmm. and he might be Mm. he also might not be a good partner or a good enough partner but he might be a good enough father and I think that's what Needs to, needs to be understood never would I ever condone or support a father having a relationship with his child if he's not going to do that in mm-hmm. a way that is safe mm-hmm. for both the child and the mother mm-hmm. neither of them should be at any risk of any violence or abuse from a father so with that out of the window and off the table You've got. I. 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 I don't understand why mm. you would want to. Apart from any th- things that are personal, things that you've been aggrieved with within the relationship. So he cheated on you with your best friend. Well, does that mean he shouldn't see his child? No. Mm. Was it? Was it awful what he done? Yeah, that's not good. I won't condone that. That's really bad. That ain't nice. And I can understand that it would be emotional too. Mm. But that should not stop a man seeing his child if he doesn't give you money. Should that stop it? No, because there are processes and things in place that should deal with the fact that if a man should be financially supporting his child and you should go through those processes. Um, do I don't agree with men who don't financially support their children, if they can, especially mm-hmm. if they can. Mm-hmm. But um, equally, I, I, I just don't agree with a man being stopped seeing his child because mm-hmm. his presence and time may be more important than, than the money, that he, money gives. that he can give that child. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, a lot of the time it's just not it's just a child not being prioritized in within that. And I, I don't wanna pick on any one because no two cases that I've had are the same, although they're all denial of access mm. or contact. Um, they're all very different. And I think that um 
the, the sooner women understand that it's not about how good the man is for them. It's about whether or not he's a safe person for that child to be around. You picked him. Yeah. You picked him. <laughs> the child didn't pick that father. Yeah. You picked that father. Yeah. And so you've got to live with that. And if he is a waste man, for want of better words, yeah. then the child has to work that out for themselves. Yeah. Because one day they'll they'll come back and one day they will work out. And I've seen it. Guys my age, your age, saying realising that actually their fathers weren't quite what they thought. Mm. And actually it was a lot it was things were made a lot harder than they even realised. But they came to that realisation themselves rather than through the stories and opinions of somebody else. You'll work it out. Yeah. If, if your dad, if a, if a man's going to keep... Le- and listen, and don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here saying that if a man constantly says he's coming to pick up a child and doesn't, mm. that you must allow him to do that because you've got to protect your child. Of course. So, you know, again, we're talking about you've got to have the best interest of your child. Um, and unfortunately, because you don't like him and because he cheated on you um, and because he's got a new girlfriend... These are not reasons. Mm. He can't come to your house because I don't know who your girlfriend is, but you've just had two boyfriends in the last three years. Mm. I never knew who they were. Yeah. I never saw them. I never knew when they came and when they went. I don't know what you do on the daily. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I've got a case at the moment where the mum's saying, you've got to feed the children three times a day. They have to sleep in their own room, in the, in the separate beds. She's like, and it's like, you don't own these children. Mm-hmm. They're not yours. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you both had these children together like, what if I then start to put those demands on you as a mum yeah and these are not because he doesn't feed these children it's just because you want control so nah. I, you know I, again I don't for me I don't take sides mm-hmm. I do, well I do take sides mm-hmm. I take the side of the child mm. um, so yeah it's, it's it, just to you know to not pick on any one thing it's where it's where women are not prioritising the children yeah yeah and um, I think based upon what you're saying the way to kind of get around those issues from a male's perspective and from a woman's perspective is to just communicate. But again, as you're saying, using the child as the common denominator here, it's not about me or my feelings for you or your feelings about me. It's about the kid, what's best for the kid. And, or, go on. and, and maybe to also, which I probably should have said already, which I think is not done in these situations, Yeah, is that what they're not doing is they're not thinking about what are the potential what is the potential impact mm. on this child mm-hmm. so at a baby it might you might not really see it but what's the impact because all too often we see 12 and 13 year old boys getting sent to their dads mm-hmm. that has never really had any dealing with them to all of a sudden be this discipline yeah. setting him up for failure because he's not going to be able to do that job now neither yeah. it's a bit late yeah. so listen it's a, it's a listen what we do know if we want to get like what we do know is that children who don't have positive male role models in their life are likely to be more involved in drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. likely to be more early sexualized, mm-hmm. likely to go to prison and form um, the, the relationships that they form will not be with the most positive people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get involved in the criminal justice system. These are not a rule of thumb, but these are facts and stats and research, which has been done over years and years. Um, it's, it's, it's not even up for an argument. It's not even up for an argument. I wouldn't even have an argument or a discussion with someone who thought they'd want to be able to argue that case with me. I wouldn't argue it. I'll, I'll just, you know, let mm-hmm. you go if you want to argue that that's not the case. It's a fact. And and if you want the best for your child, I think the way I look at it, the way I say it to 
I've, I remember saying it many years ago when I first started doing my work because I had a mother in a presentation I was doing and she was like, my, my kids don't need a dad. I do everything, I'm great. And I said, okay, so if you were racing and you know, two people had the best sports cars, Ferraris, and you were racing on a track, you both had identical cars, identical skills, and you're both going to cross the line at the same time, but the object is to win. If the object is to win, and I said to you, I've got some Pirelli tyres, which give you 10% extra grip on the corners, then the tyres, the Dunlop tyres that mm-hmm. are on the mm-hmm. other car, would you take the tyres? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the, the, you want to win the race, right? Because that's why you're racing to mm-hmm. win. You're not racing to come second or mm-hmm. draw. Mm-hmm. You want to win the race. Win the that's race, the, yeah. That clear. Yeah. You want okay, so you, would you take the tires? So I'm like, well, that might be what that might be what a, a child's father is. Mm. That extra ten percent. Extra ten percent, yeah, yeah. No one's saying you're not doing a great job on your own. Yeah. But the way I the way I was brought up, the way I check it, that's not how it was set up. Mm. It was set up to be both yin and yang, yeah. and and that, and that that different elements that people bring to the table yeah. in, 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 in that role. So, yeah. I hear you. I want to end on this. Um, we've seen so many times where the occupation of the dad doesn't necessarily translate as well to his kids. So you see very, very many times where it's like, say for instance, a pastor, the stereotype of a pastor's kids, they've gone wayward. Worst. The worst. <laughs> um, I my dad was my football coach and there was a time where I, I naturally rebelled against football just because that was my dad's thing. It's like, it's often that the household isn't catered to first in terms of the occupation of yeah. the dad. Um, because your occupation is fatherhood, obviously it's not a job to you, it's just what you do naturally. What are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way to make sure that that translates to your kids first before you can help anybody else? So it's a constant challenge. It is a constant challenge because I, I recognise that, like my dad, I'm really busy and can be serving everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is about remaining, like practising what you preach. Yeah. If I'm telling you something, I have to be doing that in my house. Mm-hmm. It's effort. It's, I've got to be practising those ethics. Um, and that's how I try to do my work. And I think that's why I've been able to just do it so openly um, and widely um, as I do. But I think, yeah, it's just practicing what you preach and and making sure that you, you know, I'm not saying to you, blah, 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 but then my son's out on road mm. at 11 o'clock when I'm like, well, I don't think he should, but, you know, I'm saying, well, I don't think that's adequate. Yeah. So I think it is just about staying on it. I, I think it is, it is, it kind of comes more natural. A lot of, I think I'm, I'm lucky, I'm blessed, not lucky that, you know, my, my professional development has been able to help me to really some of the things that I've, I've naturally been given to us, because I think that, look, by and large, if we talk about um, grandparents of a certain age and parents of a certain age, we've been handed the things, the tools we need. Mm. We've just been, had it diluted by the society that we live in. Yeah. And I think the biggest problem that we've had is that, and when I say we, I'm talking about the parents who are of children who are not, who are falling really foul of things now is that we want to give our children everything we didn't have. Uh, I just think that's not right. Yeah. There's no value put on anything. I couldn't leave my house on a Saturday until I had done certain things. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Mm-hmm. 
You ask a kid nowadays what's a skirting board. <laughs> That's what you're on, on top of a wardrobe, in yeah. a wardrobe, in a cupboard. Yeah. I don't know. No, they don't even know where to look. Yeah. And we've taken those things out because mm. it's like, oh, things were so hard for us. Mm. But when you don't put a value on something, mm. there's no teachable moment. We 120, 150 pound shoes for our kids. Yeah. They go and play football in it, and then we want to shout when they come on with mud. Mm. Mm. Well, they didn't work for that hundred and twenty yeah, yeah, yeah. pounds. Yeah. Can't blame the child. Yeah. There's no money. There's no value put on that. If they had to do some stuff to earn that hundred and fifty pound yeah. trainer. I don't think they'll go and kick kick ball in it. Yeah, yeah. So I try to live by those same principles. Like my kids have got to do some of those things. Mm. Um, and 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 you know, being a parent can be it's it's like being a teenager. You can succumb to peer pressure mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. you know what everyone else is doing, but mm. you've got to do what's right. And it might mean that you are living in a minority space. Today. Unpopular, unpopular opinion. Yeah, I hear you. So um, I'm not trying to be my kids' friends. Yeah. If, the, if, if me and my kids are friends it's a bonus to them not me I've got friends already mm-hmm. <laughs> and the discussions I have with my friends I wouldn't find appropriate to have with my kids anyway yeah. so I'm not trying to be my kids friends I, my job is to prepare them yeah. for life mm. and then to, for them to be successful in the world that we navigate so that will mean that I'll do and say things that they won't like but I think I've got a little bit more experience than them and I think that it's my job to pass that on wicked King, I just want to let you know I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your um your innovation, um your passion for what you do, um but your your selfless giving to to the to, to the to the community, man. Because it's definitely a rare commodity. You know, you're not in it for limelight. You're not in it to get plaudits or awards or anything. You're genuinely in it for the betterment of people. And I really want to just to show that appreciation to you because it's evident not just in the people that you've affected, but in your kids. I've I've seen it, man. I I coach your son every week, and just his level of of manners, um, how he conducts himself, but more so his striving to always want to do better and be better. That for me is a huge credit to um to you and his mum. So I was definitely going to give you those flowers um whilst I've got you here to show them my appreciation to you, bro, because your work is endless, but so selfless and payless a lot of times, and and um, thankless a lot of times as well. So really want to show that appreciation to you, bro. Thank you, bro. And I want to say, like, I know it's, this obviously would have been a challenging subject for you, but your dad would be proud. No, oh, I appreciate that, bro. I know he'd be proud that you've take, taken on the mantle and then um, continue to fly the flag in the way that he'd want it flowed. So, yeah, I, I wish I'd have got, I mean, <laughs> never mind me, mm-hmm. you know, but I wish I'd have got more time to spend with him because obviously I didn't have those years. Yeah, 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 many, yeah, many years. yeah. And I think we would have probably, I think we would have done a load of stuff. But I'm sure we, I'm sure you know, you're here, so yeah. we, we can still do stuff. 100%, yeah, 100%. Me, no, my pleasure, bro, my pleasure. Um, where can anybody, stra- any family, any dad or mother struggling, where can they find you? What's the, what's the details? Um, I'm getting too old to tell you social media. <laughs> but I can give you my website. Yeah, as simple as that, the man. The website is all the Ws, yeah. fatherfigure.org.uk. Yeah. Wicked, wicked, yeah. wicked. Well, make sure to put to the links and... This is that YouTube stuff. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and we'll put the, the description <laughs> and the links below and all that. Nah, yeah. They'll all be there, innit? They'll all be there, wherever it is. They'll all be there. Um, but yeah, this has been a, a great conversation, King. Thank nice you for coming man. on board again, man. Um, respect you. every time, man. Every uh, time, every cool. time. Episode four, ASUMD podcast. Um, thanks for joining us, guys. And yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs>